podcast for those who suffer, which is everyone. It's a space where we can speak honestly about what it feels like to be in desolate places without losing hope. Welcome to In the Thicket. Today's episode is the second one in our series of three where each of us hosts is sharing a little bit more about our own personal experiences of suffering and part of the reasons why we were inspired to be part of this podcast in the first place. And today we have Rachel D'Souza who shares a lot about her experience in journeying with vulnerability. We hope you enjoy. Hello everybody. Hello. (laughs) Welcome. Welcome to In the Thicket podcast. (laughs) How are you? That was good. I felt like I was going to keep adding words to that because I should just stop it in the thicket, but then I added podcast and then I could add like Mm. brought to you by, you know. My mind fills in the blank with Kellogg's. We're not nice. sponsored by brought Kellogg's, by but Kellogg's? I feel like, mm. you know, I feel like that's enough things in my childhood that was brought to you by Kellogg's. That it's yeah, that's like true. stuck in my brain. Yeah, Crazy. that's true. I think I have sponsors on my mind because the Olympics is happening right now. Ah, so. Yes. so I'm like, I'm thinking all about that, you know? That's yeah. So yeah. Yeah. How are you? you know, oh. Oh, go, go. <laughs> I was just like thinking about the Olympics because you brought up and I watched the speed skate, like one of the speed skating mm. events last night. And it was so speed skating is like, it's, I mean, even watching it is terrifying. Like it's, it's true. It's so cool. It's Were like you watching the long track or short track? Uh, I think it was a mixed relay. So I, oh yeah. So there's like a bunch of people on the ice. Yeah. A bunch. Mm. Oh my gosh. And like, and we, it was sucked because we were in the finals, but then we like made a crash. Yeah. We, there was like a penalty that we had and it was stinky, but I was, yeah, very sad, but like, I mean, you know, very admirable for those athletes. Like, it's just so crazy. I I just, I don't understand it. Did I guys tell you, I did speed skating as a kid, like when I was 10. Yeah. Um, yeah, I did um, just like it was like recreational, whatever. But like oh there's a gosh. long track speed skating rink in Winnipeg, which is where like Cindy Classen and all of, like a lot of the Winnipeg what? speed skaters train. Wow. And that's why they're so good because they train outside in, you know, minus 30 Celsius weather with plus wind chill. Right. Yeah. Wow. Um, and this and the ice is maintained by this guy who's like a genius was so always perfectly smooth and like crystalline. It's amazing. But wow. it was so, it was so much fun. I did, I think a couple of years in the winter and my wow. mom, it was my mom and I, and I think maybe one of my sisters did it as well. Um, but yeah, we would just go and put our skates, skates, the speed skates on and, and, you know, you learn how to do crossovers around the corner. So that's yeah. great. Oh but it's when gosh. you get on the straightaway and you can get into good form and you, and you literally feel like you're flying. Cause you're just oh going gosh. so incredibly fast. It's great. That's oh crazy. Gosh. That I, sounds like the worst. Th- th- we say that so often. You guys will describe something and I sound like such a funny duddy because I'm like, that sounds like the worst experience of my life ever. I mean, I definitely got frostbitten toes every time because wow. you just, mm, so you know, cold. I had to go and thaw. everyone would come in after and thaw their feet because everyone's toes are white and you just thaw your feet. And my toes, I don't know if my toes are already kind of like not great, but and now even now with nine cold. toes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I have 10, but they can't handle anything lower than like 15 degrees Celsius. Nice. I'm getting really cold. Which is why Nashville is good for you. That's right. Yeah, Nashville that's is right. great for me. That's yeah. right. I'm just slowly making my way south. It's great. Yeah, man, that's so cool. I like, you must be a good skater though in general eh, Nicole because I like I don't I didn't really grow up skating a lot because I didn't grow up all like in Canada for my whole childhood mm. I do like it though but like, I can't stop like I can't do all those things that like you know like I can skate and that's mm. it like, I need walls and I need 
like I always am like, I wish I want, I always want to wear, um, you know, like snow pants, really like chubby yeah. snow pants when I skate. Cause I was like, if I do that, then I'm just going to be bold and fearless. That's really, so funny. You fall on your butt bone, your tailbone. Cause that's right. Mm. Yeah. 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 Uh, this, the whole like strapping things on your body to go <laughs> faster on a slippery surface <laughs> just seems like, like even with skiing, so when I was young, mm. when I was young and we lived in um, Fort Quapel, Saskatchewan, it, it is a valley there. So there was a ski right. hill um, and I had a skiing accident because oh. I was not experienced at all. And there was anyways, it was like a part of a slope where you couldn't stop. And there was like a lineup of people across it because they were doing a ski lesson or something. Mm. And so I tried to go around <laughs> them and I smashed into a, a mud wall that because the oh. thing was carved into the side of the shoot. hill. And then I sprained oh, my knee and the... Oh my gosh. I know it was so like the, ki- the kids, because it was like my class that went skiing. And so mm. the ski patrol people had to come and get me. And then all the kids from my class, my my mom was chaperoning, so they were going down the hill and like telling my mom, like, Aaron's hurt. And then some of them were like, Aaron's unconscious. <laughs> I think Aaron's dead. <laughs> and she was like, oh, whatever. Come on. Because she's a nurse. So she's like, it's always not as bad as you think it is, you know? Right. Anyways, so then after that, I didn't ski until university. And then I decided to go in university because it was a super cheap ticket through the student union and got there, got to the top of the hill and was like, yeah, this is not happening. I'm not doing this. And then I took my skis off and walked down the hill and got mocked by little boys who were on the chairlift watching me walk down the hill with my skis. So that's so funny. That's That's amazing. That's true humility right there. You were just showing them what humility looks like, you know? That's right. Yeah. That's great. Do you guys have a favorite, do you guys have a favorite sport to watch at the winter Olympics? Mm. There's a, a lot question. I love. Yeah, I really honestly mm-hmm. love. Like, I find Winter Olympic sports just really exciting, and a lot because they are they're faster yeah. and they're kind of crazy and like lots. Yeah, of, they're great. Mm. Um, I, I mean, I think I don't know if I have a favorite, but I think you know you have to watch the hockey game. Like, like mm. you have to watch. You have to watch hockey in a way. Like, you just yeah. You if, you're Canadian, if you're Canadian, if you're Canadian, yeah, 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 yeah. You just can't. So I feel like I don't have a favorite, but I know that like yeah. well, I have to watch hockey. You know, right? right. Yeah, it's highly satisfying to watch the Canadian teams mop teams mop the floor with other teams. Yes, <laughs> I mean not every team, but not every team. Definitely, we can just say it. I think it's okay to say that not every country in the world is equally as skilled as Canada at ice hockey. So I mean, yeah. You know, it's, yeah, I like hockey. I like skating. I like watching the, like the skating, especially the, um, like the pairs, the pairs is so beautiful, but then also the, um, like the individual skates where with the, like, it's the jumps that is like, (gasps) right. Terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, oh, I love those. That's that's so about winter too. sports, it's like terrifying and beautiful. You're like, oh, yeah, and it's true. And then, but it's so cool. Like, oh my goodness. But summer I, I, people know, are like, yeah, running a lot. Yeah, mm-hmm. and like, I honestly like the summer Olympics too. way Me better too. than oh, the really? winter Olympics. Oh no, no. <laughs> Aaron. I, like, I like them both. I'm like lame, and I'm like they're both good. You know, that's fine. <laughs> I think winter Olympics are much more exciting. Mm. I, I think it's because I like the swimming. That's why. Like I love oh, diving. Yeah, I exciting. love diving. Love synchronized diving swimming. Is cool. Like synchronized swimming yeah. is cool. Yeah. 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 So those things. Fair. Yeah, but those are okay. I don't know. Yeah. What's your favorite? What's your favorite one to watch, Nicole? 
Uh, I think Paris, like I think Paris figure skating. I just think it's so beautiful. Like ice dance or figure skating either way. Mm -hmm. They're just, I just think it's amazing. And I had this great experience in undergrad where uh, in my music theory class, we were analyzing this piece of music by Gustav Mahler. Mm. Um, I think it was like his symphony number five, the slow movement, the adagio. And so I was sitting upstairs, like analyzing this thing. This is during like February of what was it? It's just been like 2010. Yeah. The 2010 Olympics in Vancouver. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was sitting upstairs analyzing music and then my family was downstairs watching ice dance and I was like very, very disciplined and not watching it. Cause I had to do my work. And all of a sudden I heard the piece of music that I was analyzing play oh. downstairs. And I was like, what is this? So I went down and the Canadian couple, um, who was it? Was it Virtue and Moyer? I think mm-hmm. they were dancing to the symphony that I was analyzing. And I just, it was like the most cool beautiful thing oh, in the world. So I don't know. So cool. I mean, I already liked ice dance, but now it was just like I a great moment. It. That's yeah. like better. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah. I also have to say that I really like the ski jumping. That one also oh, yeah. is like, that's terrifying. Right. It's like, They're why literally you like this? flying in the air for like, like, like a kilometer or something it feels like they're just up there forever and <laughs> yeah. like you know what I mean they're just like you're like yeah. Yeah. everybody's breath is held and they're just literally just in the air and yeah. there's no parachutes or yeah. anything and yeah. they're just yeah and it, essentially it's just falling in a really cool way like they like right. ski to a point where they jump up into the air and then they just fall in the most graceful yeah. and incredibly athletic way yeah yeah I feel like I've team. had yeah I feel like I've had dreams of it, like after watching the ski jumps and is there one where they just ski jump and they put their skis kind of in a V and yes. they just sort of mm-hmm. sail and then they yeah, land and they see how far they yeah. can go. Mm-hmm. Um, so like dreams of doing that. And then that's like the sensation of flying. It was like a flying dream. And it being <gasps> like, <laughs> uh, like, no, but really being like amazing and wonderful. But then it's the ones where they're flipping over and stuff. Yeah, I'm just like, are, Oh my God. That's yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I don't know. I, I think there's like a thing called like normal person's Olympics or something like <laughs> that. Funny. And it's like people who have no skill in these events that are oh. just trying to do the events. <laughs> have to look and see if I can find it. That sounds like, I don't even know. Quality. It's high quality there. That's, that's just about as good a viewing as the actual Olympics are, you know, maybe Maybe even better, better. maybe better. Rachel, did you have a favorite uh, Um, winter sport to view? I said, I said hockey, but I like, it's not my favorite. Like, mm-hmm. I love it, but I, I can't pick. Like, I honestly, I love mm-hmm. the Olympics in general. I'm like this weird person that like, I don't necessarily cry in like a sad movie. I do sometimes, but I like cry when I watch sports. It's so 100%. weird. Like, right. I do that I, too. If, if Canada wins anything, I cry. I know. Also, if there's a commercial on the Olympics, it's like a like a Canadian tire commercial. It's just like a little yeah. bit heartwarming. I cry. Yeah, I don't know. I know. You guys are such saps. It's good. I love it. I don't know what it is. We're in touch with but, our emotions there, and it's fine. Yeah, gosh, we're just integrated people. You know? But like, I, the other thing, though, I think is really funny, which I also feel like we should apologize to anyone who who does, who's like professional or like amateur or just good at any of the sports that we just mentioned mm. that we I know nothing about that I may have butchered in what I was talking about. But I think that I love that meme or like that idea of 
you know, you're watching and like you're within in the 30 seconds of somebody's like run, you've become mm-hmm. like an expert because of yeah, all of the that's CBD. right. Absolutely. <laughs> right. That's right. So all the media yeah. coverage, you're like, oh, that turn was uh, that turn was a little, little tight. We've yeah, got to, right. you know, yeah. he's gonna really lose the velocity on that one. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> There's like a meme out there like that. And I love it because it's legit my life. I'm like, oh no, you know, and my, my parents someone will come down and be like, what happened? I'm like, well, you know, he didn't really you know twist in the way that that yeah he that he he, uh, he was so under he on the that's right you know that's so So, great I love it okay listen here's this for a segue let me try it okay so when you are picture it on the run and you're like at the top and you're about to go down this ski slope and launch off into the great oblivion and do twists and turns and then try and land and get lots of points how vulnerable are you at that point? That's right, right? So today we are talking about uh, vulnerability a bit. So uh, we wanted to do we wanted to do this this kind of a second half of the second season, a little bit of like who are we? Why are we involved in this podcast? Like you know what 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 are our lives? You know something like that, um, because we have people that we that don't necessarily know us, so it's a great way for for you to get to maybe know us a little bit. And uh, so mine was a couple of weeks ago, or a few weeks ago, and I talked about my experience with fibromyalgia. And Nicole is coming up uh, in the future just after Easter, but today is Rachel's episode, and so she's going to talk a little bit about vulnerability. But I'll just turn it over to you, Rachel. So tell us where you are, what are you doing, like the basics. The basics, the Rachel basics. Um, Okay. So I am currently finishing up my master's in theology um, at, in Toronto at the U of T and, uh, but my background, so uh, I'm trying to be like, you know, we did this with you too. Like why I was born. (laughs) When I was born. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Um, But I guess, you know, that part is kind of important because I wasn't born in Canada. So I Mm. was born in India and I lived there till I was um, almost six. And then I lived in the Middle East for almost seven years. And then I moved to Canada and we moved around a lot when I was here. So I moved around a ton as a child and I I have, I'm super close to my family. So that's a blessing. Not everyone is. And I think moving really cemented that because when you go to a new place, like you literally don't know anyone Mm -hmm. except your family, you know, especially if you don't have relatives, you don't have any connections and, and, you know, we're immigrants. And so like, there were definitely times that we definitely had friends, but you know, there's a very limited community network that you can plug into. And so you just, you know, the people, you know, is your family and, and obviously eventually, you know, I did make friends, <laughs> um, but like, yeah, so I, but I think it kind of gives you, if you're close to your family, um, uh, like you depend on each other in a different kind of way when you're, mm-hmm. when you're doing things like moving your lives so often to so many places. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And I think that has been very formative for me as a person. I, um, I've had a conversation, conversations with a few other people who, have been in, in my boat specifically because my younger siblings, they grew up for the most part, I would say in Canada, they do have memories from not living here, mm-hmm. but I was 11, almost 12 when I moved here. And right. in, even after I was 12, we did a lot of moving around to different cities and stuff like that. And so I think for me, it, there was very much like, I don't really have home. Like there wasn't home. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a place mm-hmm. that I identified with that. It's kind of it was kind of a thing I had to figure out. Like I remember in my early twenties and my last year of my undergrad, 
I went to India for three months and I stayed with my grandmother and my uncle there and I did some music stuff and it was awesome. But I remember one of the questions I had in my heart when I went there, I was like, okay, is that home? Like, is this yeah, in, yeah. like, where's home? Like, even though I was Canadian, I sounded like this and I had a lot of Canadian references. I just, I never really felt like I totally fit anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, so that was an interesting experience. I think it was probably pretty formative for this conversation we're having about vulnerability because I, um, I know ne- I always felt welcomed. People were very kind to me for the most part. Um, my siblings had some tough experiences actually, but I didn't, I wasn't bullied or anything like that. I adapt I'm very adaptable. I adapted very easily mm-hmm. everywhere I went. But I think part of that adapting was like learning how to not be vulnerable with people, mm-hmm. you know, because, if you can sort of like, you can be friendly and meet people and do all these things, but you're still protecting. Cause you don't know, you don't know who to trust. Yeah. You don't know who your yeah. friend, you know, Yeah, so yeah. I think yeah. that probably was very formative also and why mm-hmm. vulnerability for me has been like a journey and not yeah. something that's necessarily like intuitive and yeah. natural. Maybe it isn't for anybody. I don't know. No, it's uh, even as you speak, I'm like, yeah. Cause we, my dad was in the RCMP. So it was never, we never moved out of the country, but we moved definitely lots of places around mm-hmm. the country. And so I, I always, when people, People are like, where are you from? There's like a, an existential Ooh. part of me that yeah. comes up. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know where <laughs> I'm from. <laughs> no, I get true. that. And I even the, that. yeah, like the, the, um, the vulnerability or the, like you, because you don't want to be that loser who's sitting by yourself in the bathroom eating your lunch, not no, that you totally. eat your lunch in the bathroom, but I, I don't know why they do that in movies. I like don't they either. the characters, I'm like, that's disgusting. Totally. What, like, like Maybe go it's, sit that's in the how gym. desperate they are though. You know, it's like, I guess so, so desperate that you that's would right. Eat, that's right. Go to that. That's point. right. That's right. It's horrifying. So I didn't want to be that person. So it was like, yeah, you, you figure out like you, you kind of become a little bit of a chameleon and like, okay, what hmm. will, what will like, how will I be loved? You know, like yeah, how will I fit totally. in? How will I like, you know? Yeah. Which is a, which is a, it is an interesting, it's a pretty unique experience for sure. I think for people who've moved around a lot. I mean, everybody does that to some extent though, yes. but. For you, like, I mean, we, because we've kind of journeyed together in the last, like, um, like, I don't even know how many years it is. Four or five years. Yeah. yeah, Something like that. Anyways, like the Lord has been doing so much for you in this area of vulnerability. And so maybe you can share with us a little bit, like what that's looked like. Yeah. So I would say um, probably about 10 years ago. So I, I, um, in terms of my academic background, I guess there's, this is kind of a little bit relevant. I, so I went to Western for my undergrad and then I went to Western for law school. And then I practiced law for a little while. And I got to theology in kind of this roundabout way. I, I was practicing law. I wasn't loving it. And I was feeling like the Lord was saying, I want you to do this just for a short time. I didn't realize it was going to be so short, but it was like <laughs> just a short time. And then like, he led me into other things. And, um, but all, when all that was going on, like during my undergrad, I got really involved in the, in the Newman community at Western. And, um, you know, it, it, it was amazing. Like it was like my, I was always in my faith, my, my kind of reversion or my deep conversion as an adult Catholic happened in high school, like when I was probably 15 or 16. And after that, I was like sold. Like, I just knew that I love the Lord and that's, that's, this is what I want to do with my life is just follow him, you know? And so when I went to university, I was, I was already there in that place of like that. That was my intention. That was my life purpose. 
but I didn't, I didn't experience anybody else sharing that. Like, you know, I didn't have friends in high school who were in that place at all. And then I got to university in like third year, I started meeting young Catholics who were on fire for their faith. And like, I was like, my gosh, this is amazing. And so I experienced like this incredible community outside of my family. My family is also very in their face. So it was in my family, but nothing outside of it. And Mm. I remember I got to the end of my fourth year and I'd had a bunch of experiences. And I just thought, you know, in your early twenties and you're just super cocky because you just don't know any better. (laughs) Yes. I remember that's where I was. I was like, I, I get it. I was like, I just, you know, like I love Jesus. He loves me. I was like in this incredible, like honeymoon period with the Lord. And I was like, I just, I get it all. I understand everything, you know, like I just got to coast on this till I die because basically I, I know what I'm doing, you know, You've I peaked, know like, yeah. I've it's peaked awesome. and I was like, I just, I was like, I get when I was reading the saints, I was like, I understand what they're saying. Like it was so ridiculous how like deluded I was about my understanding of myself in the world. And I ha- I went through just as that thank God, as I experienced that, I went through some like massive hits. Like the Lord just allowed me to experience some really incredible suffering in certain relationships and like in my situation. And then I I went to law school and I was a mess when I went to law school. So I was like, I'm amazing. And then I was like, I am crap, you know, like, and I think I realized when I, in that stage of my life, like, okay, I don't actually know myself very well at all. And when God sort of peeled back some layers through tough experiences, I was like, I don't like myself at all. Mm. So all of that happened. And then I went to law school and I was like a depressed person, basically in law school. And when I graduated, I was a bit better, but you know, I was, I think I was just surviving. So when, Mm. when all of this is going on, it's like turmoil and interior, a lot of interior turmoil vulnerability is like not a thing that you're even thinking about or engaging with. Right. But part of it is because you don't even, there's not even, in order to be vulnerable, you have to have something to share. You have, there has to be something mm. whole that you can, mm. and you have to have a door to open. You know, you have to be somewhat whole to actually intentionally be vulnerable. And in a certain place in my life, I was really shattered. And I was like, I don't, you know, so I wasn't being vulnerable or anything. I just was surviving. And God was working in that big time. Like he led me through all of that. And there were so many miracles and stuff at that time in my life, but this is my interior life. You know, sometimes people look at things that you're doing on the outside and it's like, yeah, that's, it's so not what you're living on the inside. And that was kind of mm-hmm. my life for a little while. So mm-hmm. it wasn't a dual life. It just was not something that anybody would understand, you know, yeah. Anywho, so I guess I was surviving. And then when I left the law, um, cause it was so busy and crazy and practicing law. is just, just crazy. And when I left, I, for the first time had like space in my life and, uh, and, um, I, when we met, it was like probably a year when we started our Exodus 90 group, it was probably a year and a bit after I'd had like some major surgery that I, that I'd needed. And God had just kind of stripped away everything in a way and was like, here's some space. And when we started talking was the first time that I was like, okay, what is happening? Who am I? Like what's happening? And then in Exodus 90, I had to then process and share that with you guys. And that was probably my first experience of facing myself and then sharing some of that with some somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, so a big long story, I guess, for me is mainly to say that 
I realized now, even now, you can't be vulnerable with other people until you literally are vulnerable with yourself. Like you have to be able to face yourself first mm-hmm. and only God can help you do that. And that was only the beginning when we were kind of meeting that I realized, oh, I'm having faced so many things that God has wanted me to face. And fast forward to today to now, literally four months, like in this last four months was the first time that I think I went like, you know, leveled up a little bit in that. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm able to face certain things about my experience that Mm. I just wasn't able to face before and draw friends into that. And, uh, and I'll, you know, kind of bookend this whole narrative, I guess with, there's a friend that I had called who was, who was a roommate of mine 10 years ago. We were very close. And I was like, she's like, she was such a close friend. Like I would consider her like a sister, you know, especially at that time, like we shared so much of our lives and we were chatting and she was like, and I was sharing with her what I'm going through now. And she was like, Rach, like, this is the first time you've ever like really opened up to me. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I talk to you all the time. She's like, yeah, but at that time, she said, I would constantly like pray and be like, Lord, you know, I'm sharing all this stuff with her. And I know she's going through hard stuff too, but like, she just won't tell me about it. Mm. And to be honest with you, I didn't even know I was going through hard stuff. Like I was not aware of my own experience. And this friend of mine, she knew more about what I was living in that time in a sense than I did. And it was just a really huge moment for me. I was like, oh my gosh, like I really did not share myself on a deep level with other people. Um, And I guess maybe the last thing about that I'll say is it's very deceptive because I'm a very extroverted person who is super open. Mm-hmm. And I mistook for much of my life openness for vulnerability. And it's not the same thing. You can tell people mm-hmm. so much about yourself without being vulnerable at all. And I, that's what I was doing and I didn't know it. So mm-hmm. to me, vulnerability really is about an interior experience of God's love for you that leads you into, um, an understanding of yourself that you can then share with other people, you know, and it's not like cut and dry. Like it's very messy. It's very, messy. yeah. Mm-hmm. Rachel, what, what do you think the, like, why is it important to be vulnerable? How, has that been a good thing for you? Like, it's great. I'm just thinking this and wondering people might be like, well, that's great that you're vulnerable, but why do I have to do that? Why should I, what, is it worth it? Like, what sounds the, awful? Why yeah. should, <laughs> why do it at all? It is kind of awful actually. <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. No, I mean, I'm not actually, it doesn't, I don't think anyone feels great in a certain sense when you're being vulnerable because it's like, you are not, you're taking a huge risk. Like there is a risk because you could be rejected. You know, you could be hurt, all kinds of things. But I think it's important because if you don't, you are alone. Like vulnerability essentially is saying mm. to somebody like, I will, I, I want to be in deep relationship with you, you know? Mm. Um, and I think, I don't know if I have a good kind of articulation of that other than to say, we all know that feeling that, you know, when you're alone in a crowd, like you're having a good time and you're eating mm-hmm. food and you're having lots of conversations with people and, and no one can touch you you know, Hmm. like that's all happening. And like, you're in a glass box and no one can touch you because really you're not, you're not, um, relating, you know, and, and 
there's different levels of vulnerability. Obviously at a party, you know, you're, you're not supposed to necessarily open up and share your deep, dark secrets with everybody. But if you're not doing that with anyone, you know, and first of all, if you're not doing that with yourself and then you're not doing it with the Lord, and then you're not doing it with any human person, you, you start to die inside. You really Mm. do. Like you don't grow. I think that's why it's important. You know, we want to live. And I think we need to be vulnerable to some extent in order to live. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it like, there were a couple of things from what you shared that I'm like, mm, that's a good, mm, that's a good deep point. That's <laughs> <laughs> what happens when there's something that moves uh-huh. my interior self. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of them was, um, the like thinking about like the vulnerability of Christ in like he was vulnerable even though he was rejected by the people who were around him or mistreated by them or misunderstood by them or you know like that never um that that was like the culmination of it was on, on the cross you know like this is like the most like he can't move he's yeah. he's naked he's dead. like unlike you know most art that is out there he was not actually wearing a loincloth on the cross yeah. like it was meant to be humiliating um a humiliating painful death and and he invites us like so deeply into that into that relationship with him and and it's not that that relationship is just meant to be with him. Like you're saying, it's meant to be, it's meant to be with, with others. Like we're kind of, we're meant to have that with other people, which is a very scary thing because even if we can have it with the Lord in some, in some way or in some depth, it's, it is terrifying to have that with other people because they are not the Lord, like yeah. because they're broken, they're broken. Yeah. and their brokenness is going to come. And, you know, so it's like, so I can see, like, I feel it inside right now, like the parts of me that are like fighting, you know what I mean? Yeah. For self-protection and then also for authenticity and love, like for real love to be really loved you know for for who i am which is like i feel those things you know Mm -hmm. um there is a word that i have really come to love when it comes to this conversation which is um or my understanding of it anyways which is like this idea of being self-possessed like Mm. in a way i think you know you really you can't give what you don't have and if the Lord, the Lord has to give us back to ourselves, like we are mm-hmm. all broken in all kinds of ways. And when he gives us back to ourselves, like the more we experience that, the more we experience that integrated reality of our, of who we are as people, when I think it makes us braver and stronger to be able to then give that to someone else, because mm-hmm. it's not yeah. that person's capacity to receive us, even though that's important. I don't want to belittle that. It's not that that makes us secure, you know, like our security mm-hmm. is really founded in God's love and our identity and God's love for us. But it, it's not a concept. I think that's what I, cause I, what I'm saying now, I probably could have said 10 years ago, I probably kind of knew mm. it in my head 10 years ago, but there's no, the knowledge of the head and the knowledge of the being, like the knowledge of the heart. That's like, yeah. mm-hmm. like it's different. And so I think you, we all have to let God 
go through that process with us, like probably our whole lives at different levels, you know, Mm -hmm. to give us back to ourselves. Um, But it enables us when we experience that to then give ourselves away. Like you Mm -hmm. can't make a gift of yourself if you don't have yourself to begin with. If you don't know who you are. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. What, um, sorry, I'm just like, I have so many questions because this is something that I, there's so much in what you're saying that Rachel and I'm resonating with is, I, you know, um, I'm sure there's many folks listening who can recognize a lot of these things in ourselves, right? Because I think vulnerability is just oh, a really yeah. difficult thing, right? Totally. Um, and you're articulating these things really well because of your experience. But what what enabled you to start being vulnerable? Like you've kind of touched on this, like it was our group, but what was it about? Because as I'm thinking about this, um, like there's times when I've been vulnerable with somebody and it's been met with something really, really hurtful. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've taken that risk and I, and it's been like, yep, this is why I shouldn't be vulnerable. (laughs) You know, it's hard. Um, and yet, and there's other times where I've been vulnerable and it's been like a really healing experience. Mm -hmm. So yeah. And, and yeah, I don't know. So what, what made it possible for you to start doing that, to have that awareness, do you think? So when we, when we started Exodus 90, it was, there was a lot of turmoil going on in my life at that time. So I had, I was working on my master's part-time. Um, I was working in ministry and there were a lot of changes at, um, it wasn't I'm like my most recent position was in campus ministry, which was amazing. And that was a very like life-giving experience. And so was this other, the other work experience I've had, but it just so happened that the community that I was serving was going through a lot of changes. And I kind of knew that my job was, you know, in the mix, like on, like on kind of shaky ground and not because of anybody's ill will or because things hadn't gone well for all of us as a team in the ministry, but there was lots of just changes going on in that community that where I thought I was like, I think it's going to result in me not having a job anymore. But I had also just made some really serious financial commitments. And like, I was like, I don't know. And, and I had just started this program at school and I was like, I just was feeling really, really lost on top of that. I think I was like maybe 28 or 29. And, uh, I mean, you know, people who listen to this podcast know that I'm a single person right now and like still kind of looking for my vocation, my early thirties. And it's tough now, but I think it was the most tough in my late twenties because Mm. I was never someone who was like, Oh, stressed about my vocation, literally never in a way, like maybe a few years, but once the Lord was like, I have a plan for your life. I just trusted that. And I was like, okay, yeah, God's going to show me. And I just got to live and do my thing. And, you know, then I got to my late twenties and suddenly it was like, I woke up and I was like, wait, wait, wait. (laughs) Like, I thought like, if I just did my things, like you're going to like, I, Mm. you know, I prayed and I, I sought after things and, you know, and I Mm. thought like I would, it would be here by now, like what's happening. Mm -hmm. And so that was a huge part of the pain in my life at that time too. So it was like nothing in my life was concrete. Like I couldn't really stand on anything physical as permanent Mm. or lasting. And even my family, like my siblings had met these wonderful people and I could see their, they weren't anywhere near engagement at that time, but I could just see, I knew, I know them so well. And I was like, oh, they're growing in their relationships. I could just see my siblings, my friends, like everyone sort of starting to approach this kind of permanence in, in, in their, in their calling, you know, like, and I could see my life was not that at all. Mm. 
And I didn't understand why. And I still don't to some extent, but I think it was just in some sense, a universal uncertainty in all the worldly and physical aspects of my life Mm. that, that I had, didn't have a choice in some ways. And and I think that's a grace, like not everyone is in that situation. And I think that was a grace God gave me because maybe I would not have Mm. been open to the kind of excavation Hmm. that had to happen interiorly in order for me to grow in this area of vulnerability. So it was really everything being totally uncertain. And even now, like when I said, like, you know, sort of this leveling up of like vulnerability has happened in my life. It's happened in the same context. Like, you know, I just married off my other sibling who I love to death and it was wonderful, Mm. but you know, now she's gone and she's in the States and I'm in Canada and I'm sort of finishing up my master's and applying to doctoral programs. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know where, you know, there's Mm. a lot of uncertainty and it's in the midst of all that, that God is like, in a sense, I've taken away all the distractions that the facade of permanence in this life can give you. And you just have, and I just had like me and the Lord and what was going on there in that relationship. And I had to face it. And I think facing that, you know, obviously there's fruit that is born of that. So that fruit is sort of like learning how to be vulnerable with other people. But yeah, I just keep like a broken record, I guess, but I keep going back to, I think Mm. it's really, for me, it's that encounter with Jesus. It's really Jesus who has been the instigator and Mm. the, the, the starter for this journey of vulnerability. I have never... And I, I think because I'm an escape artist, you know, it's people have different ways of coping with life. And I'm like, I'm going to run away. Like, that's just what I do. And I know how to do it so well. So I'm not an intentional person where I'm like, I'm going to journal and I'm going to be, I'm going to think about this. Like, I'm not like that at all. And like, let me watch the Raptors. Like, I just will do anything to get away from, from my pain and to do the work of reflecting. And God knows that. So he, you know, he just corners me. <laughs> So he's like, you're not going to, you know, it's a holy gonna, cornering. That's a holy good. cornering. We've, did, we've now coined that term. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, th- like those, those, um, those places of pain, I, I can't remember who said it, but I heard some speakers say at one time that, that it's like the deepest places of our pain become the most fruitful gardens in our life, mm-hmm. like for mm-hmm. us and for other, other people, right? Like, so there's, and it's hard when we're going through something because often in that time, it's like, we can't see the possibility oh, yeah. of, or how the Lord is going to do it, or like how there will be fertile gardens springing up from mm-hmm. our pile of manure. Like there's, <laughs> we just like, don't understand how that's going to happen. But I'm wondering if that's like, if that's starting to happen for you, if it has happened for you, like how you've started to see the Lord bring good things for yourself, but also for others, like fruit that will last or like goodness that's multiplying from, from what he's been doing. Yeah. Um, I think that, hmm. Nothing. No, I have nothing. Can I, can I share, can I share no, a fruit of Rachel's yes, vulnerability? Yes. yes. <laughs> well, I do I have just, stuff, but yeah, go. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you, I didn't mean to, but I was like, oh, I have one. But yes, just, please. I've had a couple times where Rachel, you and I, it's funny because, okay, so back, backstory in our Exodus 90 group, um, oh, yeah. <laughs> there's four of us and we each were supposed to have a partner who we checked in with 
weekly, daily, I don't know. Yeah, daily. Daily. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Which is so funny because my partner was like she she was good about Amazing. that. Like on the militant ball. good about it. Like we're so, checking yeah. here. Yeah. We were we checked in like once twice, if that, yeah, yeah, twice yeah, maybe yeah. during the 90 days. So yeah. we're really terrible at that. Um sure. anyway, but then there's been a couple times since then where Rachel and I have had just like good phone chats and it's been Rachel, when you have just like opened up about what's happening in your life and just the depth of that has been incredibly consoling because often there's, there's things in my life that will resonate in some way. And that's brought me the sense of not being alone. That's mm-hmm. brought me the sense of being um, like hopefulness where there's something that, that the Lord is doing in you that that is foreign to me, but I'm like, ah, okay, this can happen. There's hope for me in this area because right. the Lord is doing that in her life and maybe someday I'll get there or whatever it is. Um, so that's, I just, mm-hmm. as a concrete fruit in my life from your vulnerability, that's been yeah. really big. That's I'll awesome. echo that too. Like f- even from, from like, there's an easiness in your relationship with the Lord that I think is very beautiful. Whether like whether you feel like that's there or not, like the I think there is like an openness and a and an authenticity in that that has been so helpful for me to see, especially in in like the times when I um like when it's been hard to pray or just whatever it is, like I feel like I should be doing and I should be doing X, Y, and Z or whatever to be a good mm. Christian and grow in a relationship with the Lord or whatever. Um, and But there have been so many times that the Lord has like through you, like what you say, how you're talking about him, like whatever, that it's reminded me about that like being with him is like a living, like it's a living relationship with a person that is not about like fulfilling an obligation or do being perfect or like whatever. So even in, even in how you talked about like the, like your resistances or, Mm. or like what he's do or like the being in a place of pain and like really struggling in that or something like that, like those things have been like a gift to me when you've talked about them because they just remind me like that he is that it's that it's not a scripted relationship yeah and that he most of all that he is there that he is never abandons us that he sees us in our places of pain like that has been a real gift for me in like in your journey with him in the last little while that's amazing i so thank you guys for, you know, for like beautiful. <laughs> I think honestly, here's the thing. I, one of the fruit, so I was a joke that there's been nothing. There's been a lot of fruit. There really yeah, has yeah, been. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things for me has been learning to receive love. Like, because I think in some ways it's way more vulnerable for me to receive other people's love than it is for me to give love, you know, like I'm yeah. like, oh yeah. Like I love, in a way it's, it's safe for me to be like, oh, I can do this or have this conversation, you know, be there for someone. And, but then someone's like, oh, can I be there for you? And I'm like, I don't know. You know, and it's like, but, but you guys have been there for me. And even in, in, even just sharing what you're sharing, like for me to be able to receive that and just to, you know, just believe it is a huge, is a huge fruit of this journey. And it's so beautiful. And I think, you know, I have gotten to experience 
the beauty of others. Like in some ways, when you're vulnerable with someone, you let them be there for you. Mm-hmm. The gift that you get also is to see the best of them. Like, oh my mm-hmm. gosh, mm-hmm. you get to see the beauty of other people and how much they they can love and what mm-hmm. God has given right. them and their giftedness. And it's like, wow, like I, I like I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to rob myself of that experience of other people, mm-hmm. which is such mm-hmm. a gift. Um, and then another thing that's been a huge fruit, honestly, is this podcast, because I don't think that I like this, the thought that came to me came from sister Miriam, right. The talk that she gave, but it was her vulnerability that really inspired me like, oh my gosh, this heals, like just for someone Mm. to just be honest with you about their pain, whatever, it's a healing experience. So it's like, well, maybe we can have more conversations like that in the church, you know, that people Mm -hmm. can know it's okay to be in pain. Um, and God is there and it won't be forever, but it's right now. You don't need to hear the It won't be forever part. You just need to hear the it's okay. You, you know, you're yeah, okay. yeah. that's all right. And like, mm-hmm. God's here with you and he wants to heal you. And let's be here with you now where you mm-hmm. are. And I think yeah. that's been amazing. Um, and then the other thing it's been a lasting fruit for me has been to, to not to, to experience grace in the moments of just total, like to be totally dependent on grace, Mm -hmm. to experience this kind of leaning on God in such a huge way that it's like, I don't, I have, there isn't anything. It's just God. And it's, it's so solid. Like before this time in my life, I had never experienced kind of like it's almost like God is a wall. Like there is, he is there. Mm -hmm. And obviously I know he's there in my faith. I've always known that. But in these times of like, of, of, of walking with a cross or deep vulnerability, it's like, oh my gosh, like you lean and there's a wall, like he's there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Actually there, yeah. He's actually there. And I think that's such a grace, you know, and the cross is, mm-hmm. is the meditating on the cross has been a huge help in that. But to me, like, it's not even like you said, Aaron, it's not even been like working on it or whatever. It's just been the pure experience of like having to let go of everything. and then suddenly like having this, the presence of God impose itself, (laughs) impose itself Mm. into my life in such a powerful way that it's like undeniably he's there. Um, and I think that that has been probably one of the most transformative experiences because it gives me permission to then be more vulnerable and be like Mm -hmm. more, um, and, and not feel totally unsafe. Cause I think that's the feeling like that is the, that primary experience that I have is a lot of fear mm. and just this feeling of not being safe, you know, like yeah. not having security. Um, and that's the dominant experience for me of this, like struggle with vulnerability. Um, but yeah, just this taste in the midst of that, of the mm. presence, the real presence of God sustaining me has been really like just uh, a treasure. Like, yeah, no, that's even a bad word for it. Like just um, mind blowing, just like, oh, you know? And and then it's like sort of the path that opens up, you know, and I think we've all had mm-hmm. this experience of God in some way. The path that opens up when God makes himself known in a certain way in your life is not a path you know, like you don't know hmm. where it's going. Yeah, yeah. But you, you're like, okay, but that's the only way I really want to go. You know? Yeah. Right. No other path sort of seems even attractive after that. You're just like, nope, 
that's the way. And in all your brokenness and all my sin and all my like struggle, it doesn't make light of any of that, but it's like, it's fine. It's going to be okay. Like I just have to, um, you know, we had this, this, uh, conversation with father Chris recently mm. and off the air, we talked about it and it was like, the tagline was like, you just keep walking with Jesus, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's really been a beautiful relief to be like, I, that's all I have to do. I just yeah. keep walking. Yeah. And he makes me more vulnerable and he makes me a joyful disciple. I don't have to frenetically work mm-hmm. at that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's good. So beautiful. My <laughs> goodness. I feel like I'm like, this is good. The riches of Rachel's <laughs> heart just poured out. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Internally, I'm like, oh. See, it just sounds like pooping to me. I'm just going to say it. It does, right? You know, I mean, that's fine, but. (laughs) Oh, that's good. Well, I think, I think that probably people in my household would be alarmed if there were noises Mm. like that coming from the washroom. (laughs) That's not like, that's not your regular experience at all or no? No, no, it's not. Oh, okay. You guys need to go to the doctor. All right. (laughs) Anyways, this Uh, is great. Rach, I'm so glad. Like, I think. I think there's going to be lots of people that will listen to this and will just like, there's going to be like, they're going to be going all the time, but not in a <laughs> or, way. Or they're listening to this on the toilet. That's a possibility. That's a, that is that's a possibility. True. That's a possibility. Please you don't, are don't let us know. for you today. That's yeah, right. You don't have to tell us. Do not tell us. That's yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. This is good. I mean, no judgment here. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So this is good. So we, you also get to share your God wink with us today, right. which is, <laughs> which is great. So I'm excited. Lay it on us. Okay. So it basically it has to do with all of this stuff. When I was in Texas and God has been doing lots in my heart and all this vulnerability, you know, work. All this vulnerability happening. crap. Yeah. All this sorry. vulnerability <laughs> crap. Exactly. All the poop. That's in, no, sorry. Um, anyway, so I, my last day in Texas, I was at mass and I was really struggling with my vocation and not having one and like, you know, and just, and and kind of not just that issue, but like it tied into a lot of other different things. And I, I went to mass. I'd gone to confession, a beautiful confession. I went to mass and I was just kind of like in this disposition. I was like, okay, Lord, like I am like so tired, like emotionally exhausted. It's I'm, I don't know what to do, which way is up. Like I'm leaving for Canada after three months in Texas, just everything in my life was just like, where well, I can't even <laughs> see straight, you know? Um, and so I'm at mass and it's just a, it's not like a vocation Sunday. There's it, the reading is not about like, I call you or anything to do with vocations at all, you know, but this old, this beautiful, super old priest, I think he could have been like from the Philippines or Latin America or the middle East. Like, I literally don't know where he was from, but <laughs> he, he had this like lovely accent. He was just like the most beautiful, adorable man. And he got to the front, like he shuffles all the way up because he's really old, all the way up to the altar, stands up in the front. I'm like in my own zone, you know? And all of a sudden he goes like before mass starts, before he says the opening prayer out of nowhere, he just like looks at all of us. He goes, everyone's vocation is to love. I'm like, okay. And then he goes, and sometimes we experienced extreme rejection and extreme failure on our pathway to that vocation. But Jesus is the greatest partner of all. And then he just starts the opening prayer. And I was like, what the, like, what the that's hilarious. I was just like in this place where I was like, Lord, I don't know. I feel like you've like abandoned me. I don't know my vocation. Like, Mm. you know, just 
And I, and he just started the mass with that. And it had nothing to do with literally anything hmm. at yeah. mass, but it was sort of like the Lord being like, Hey, 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 yeah. I'm talking to you. I see like, you. Hello. Yeah. Hello. I have, I have yeah. things to say to you, you know? And then the whole mass, <sighs> the readings and everything just like on in, like just interiorly just really were like, like stabbing me in the heart with like, I'm speaking to you, you know, in this mm. beautiful kind of intense way. Mm. Um, and then in the homily, he said, you know, imagine this is exactly how I was feeling at that moment. He was like, he's like the greatest news that we have in the gospel is that God loved us while we were still sinners. And he's like, that means that it's not your job to figure all this out. He's like, if you're suffering it alone, which is exactly how I was feeling. He's like, if you're suffering it alone, how are you supposed to be a joyful disciple? You can't be. And he's like, only Jesus can make you a joyful disciple when you're suffering it alone. And I was like, my gosh, this is so beautiful. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We should invite him to be a guest on the podcast. Yeah. Can he just come he and hang out with amazing. us? I want him to. Like, this is the funniest part too about this whole Godwink. The whole mass was like a giant Godwink for me, but he was at the pulpit, like banging on the pulpit. He was like, awesome. like fire and brimstone, like preaching, you know? And then he finishes his homily with like all this gusto and energy. And literally it takes him like a whole minute to like shuffle slowly <laughs> back to, like, to the altar. He's so old. Oh, like the Holy Spirit just it. like took over and he was suddenly like 25. Like he was so like physical mm, and energetic. So great. A beautiful image too of like, you know, someone just totally given to the Holy Spirit, but yeah. Yeah. yeah God Cause he's that. living that too of just the. Yeah. Vol- like he can't, like, how can you be, if you're suffering and alone, how can you, the you know, so who, I mean, if he's old and he's got, sounds like physical sufferings and mm-hmm. all this stuff, yeah. like he's like, he's living this thing of like, the Jesus yeah. is just there. And he's going to do, so yeah. yeah. do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, oh, so that's beautiful. I love it. I love that. <laughs> God bless Texas. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, really though. I <laughs> love it. But is it the great, na- I don't know. The great nation it. of Texas. I don't yeah. Know. Is that, that's what it is. Right. Sister Miriam said it when she was on. Cause she's, she lives there. She lives out oh, there. Oh yeah. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, ladies, listen, it was a joy and a privilege. Yes. Yes. And Thank you for hearing me pour my guts out. So awesome. So good. <laughs> so good. For the last time. Oh, okay. Well, Nicole's we shaking excited. her head at, in disdain. That's right. These in noises. Disdain. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. really ugly. Yeah. It's well, fine. It's good. It's good. Love um, you, ladies. We have uh, a Lenten series coming up for mm-hmm. for everybody. So we'll just mention that. This is like a teaser for that. So, um, so probably uh, next week we'll give you all the details about it. But it's going to be focused around um, scripture stuff scripture stuff that's very unspecific <laughs> it's gonna be of you. that's right that's right scriptural it's, uh, discussions stuff from uh, the, bible and... the bible i forget the verse but it's in there um <laughs> yeah so uh but that's gonna be good we're really excited for that too so stay tuned next week we'll give you some more details about that um and until then god bless okay. you everybody we're praying for you yep have a lovely week bye guys bye, bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode of In the Thicket. If you like what you hear, give us a rating and hit that subscribe button. We have new episodes every Monday with more stories and honest conversations about life when the going gets rough and the hope and humor amidst it all. We'd love for you to join our community on Instagram and Facebook at In the Thicket Podcast. While you're there, let us know how we can pray for you. God bless and see you next week.